Welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life, the U.S. Chess Federation's podcast that goes behind the scenes and more in-depth about each month's issue of Chess Life magazine. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which include one move at a time on the second Tuesday of each month, in which I talk to people who are advancing our mission statement, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karianis, in which she examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org or subscribe via Google or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. International Master Kostya Kovitsky is our guest today. International Master Kovitsky is a professional chess author, journalist, coach, commentator, and player. He's written a number of articles for Chess Life Online, Chess Life, and other chess publications. He currently resides in Mountain View, California, and his plans are to pursue the Grandmaster title while working actively as a coach. He joins us today because he wrote the October Chess Life cover story on America's latest, uh, youngest international master, Christopher Yu. Welcome to the Cover Stories with Just Life podcast, International Master Kostya Kovitsky. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on. So let's get right into this story that you that you wrote on on Christopher. Talk, talk about the his basics and his, his career leading up to the IM title. Uh, sure. So Christopher uh, grew up in, in the Bay Area, up in California, um, which has pretty historically generated a lot of talents, I think, mainly because there's always been a number of uh, good programs here and a lot of tournaments and, and a lot of uh, players to, to go up against. Uh, so the culture is really much very suitable for uh, developing chess players. And um, he he made a lot of progress um, really, really quickly, which I didn't realize in, until I had just started like researching uh, for the article. But he, he basically made uh, master in, in a little bit over three years from, from when he actually learned like how to play chess and, and the rules and, and everything. Um, so I've always known he's been uh, quite talented because I've seen him grow up in, in various tournaments. Um, but yeah, I actually had no idea how, how quickly he, he made progress. Um, and basically he had one uh, little uh, moment in his career where he wasn't uh, gaining points with, with every tournament. But once he got through with, with that, he has basically been making nonstop progress uh, since since starting uh, the game. Um, I... I think I write a little bit about, you know, why this might be, like wh- why he's been so successful at such a, a young age. But um, from interacting with him and working with him and, and playing against him and just talking with him uh, a number of times, it, it's pretty clear it's always just been his like uh, straight enthusiasm for chess. He just he loves the game. He loves analyzing various positions. He loves um, thinking about chess and coming up with his own opening ideas. And uh, I think that's always really, really helped him just put in a ton of hard work into the game uh, and develop his his skill uh, very quickly. Right. So this is the second age record he's broken. It was um, uh, the master. He was the, our youngest master. Mm-hmm. I think he broke that record just like two days to spare, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's that's right. It, it was uh, it was a close call. And what I didn't realize though was that it was only three years after he started playing tournament chess, which you just mentioned. Uh, I, I wonder if there's been a faster rise to master than that. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't really look into it too seriously because I feel like this stuff is is hard to um, research accurately. But I'm sure it's yeah one of the the absolute quickest. And I, I'm also curious about what you just mentioned about it, his natural interest in studying the game and and, and his joy of analysis. Uh, you know, you work and see with a, a lot of young talents. Do you think this is fairly unique, or is it something that goes hand in hand with a talented future titled player? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I, I feel like a lot of people have noticed this quality about a lot of uh, young prodigies. Um, I believe Greg Shahadi made a point a while ago that a lot of the the key thing that ties together all of the talented players he's worked with is that most of them, um, they have uh, a fascination with like chess history and they can tell you things about like historical players and they know historical games and famous games from the past that uh, a lot of young players, most of most young players today, I think they either don't know about the stuff or they don't really care about it that much. But a lot of the very talented, very successful players seem to have an appreciation for for chess history, which I think 
definitely ties in a little bit to to Christopher. Uh, I'm not sure how much he has read up on chess history or how much he's interested in it. Um, but yeah, I've noticed like when analyzing with him, he he's just very curious about like the truth of the game. He he just wants to figure out like what's the best move in the position. Why is this the best move? Why doesn't this idea work? Why doesn't this idea work? And uh, he just gets more and more excited like the the deeper he gets. So he just really really enjoys I think like the art uh, of analysis. And uh, I mean, logically, that that must help him greatly because it, it means he's probably spending like more time just working on his uh, analytical skills, which are, of course, extremely important. Uh, more time just exploring the game, uh, learning different ideas. I think there, there's a lot of stuff in chess that you can only pick up by kind of like deeply exploring some random position and, and just appreciating all of the, the different uh, potential resources. Um, so I think that's been... Uh, extremely helpful for him. Um, with other kids, I've definitely noticed similarities. Uh, I think this curiosity is, is definitely a big thing when they're genuinely interested in you know the evaluation of a position. And they're not just worried about winning or losing. They're not just worried about like having a good position, but they're just genuinely curious about the game and you know why do some ideas work in in some positions but but not in, in others and and kind of to that point you know you you write extensively in this article about christopher's uh composed endgame studies uh mm-hmm. and his 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 real talent for this do, do you know of any other titled youth that has a this kind of deep interest in this kind of almost as a I, I say esoteric subject only because it seems like in recent years, it's just not something that has been in the forefront the way it might have been in the past in the heyday of Palbinko. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I was quite surprised to find out um, that Christopher has not only been um, creating endgame studies uh, for a while, but is actually like entering uh, actual like, international competitions. And uh, earlier this year, he, he even uh, medaled in, in some huge competition with like... Um, uh, I think it, it was a number of like amazing um, uh, study artists that he was uh, up against. I think like Pervikov was there and like Johan Afik and like all these, all these like famous uh, composers. Um, I have definitely seen other players, um, uh, young players that like composed a, a problem here or there, but I, I don't think I, I've heard of anyone um, really dedicating time to it and actually going to, to competitions. Uh, I believe he also set another record by being the youngest, the youngest player to medal in, I, I think it was the FIDE World Cup of composing. Uh, and he, he beat the record by like decades. I mean, it was, it was, it's quite, uh, it's quite a huge, huge achievement. Um, and you give a couple of examples in the article of his, of his studies. And I, I'd like to point listeners to uh, an article on chessbase.com that has a very lengthy article about Christopher and this topic. Um, and, and kind of similarly, you mentioned to me uh, about his success in Puzzle Rush and especially his solving 581 mate in one problems in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, while that sounds terribly impressive and it, it certainly speaks to, to his level of interest in, in these type of items, on the other hand, I, I started wondering, it seems almost like for mate in ones, uh, to a class level player like me, it sounds like a title player should be able to do, almost go off into infinity for solving mate and ones. <laughs> what what would keep someone from uh, finally reaching an endpoint there? Oh sure, yeah, I should definitely uh, expand on that. So this uh, this number, the the five hundred eighty one problems he solved. So this was um, on a uh, specific online uh, site. Uh, I think the hat tip goes to to Alex King who. Um, found the site and then like shared it on, on social media. Um, and basically the, the point was to uh, see how many made in one problems you can solve in a row, um, given only 10 seconds per problem. Ah, okay. There's the key. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, basically you have to, you have to solve it within 10 seconds, uh, any wrong answer and you're immediately out. Um, and so, yeah, a bunch of people like tried it on, on Facebook and like posted their, their high scores and uh, I think I think my best was something like a hundred problems. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing, but there are definitely other players who are not titled, but but scoring way more than me. Um, but then I, I forwarded the the program because I was uh, coaching at the uh, World Cadet last year in Spain, where Christopher uh, was part of the delegation, and so I forwarded it to all the players just to you know see like okay who can try to set the high score. And uh, I think Christopher was the only one who even like really attempted. But yeah, like. 
he got like 100, 200, and then he got like 581. And apparently he messed up because of a, because of a mouse slip. Um, (laughs) But basically I I think I did the math. It was something like at least half an hour, maybe up to like 45 minutes of just like nonstop focus, you know, on the screen, uh, not losing focus for a second because, you know, you don't get any breaks. It just, as soon as you solve the first puzzle, it goes on to the next one. Uh, And so, yeah, when you try it yourself, it's very difficult to, to stay focused for that long, especially given that um, some of the puzzles are actually, you know, they're tricky. There's like several checks in the position. The king is kind of in the center. And so you're not exactly sure. Uh, there, it's not like you can just uh, pattern recognition your way to solving all these problems. Yeah, it's amazing how sometimes meet and ones can be very difficult to solve. That That's one of some of the most frustrating puzzles I've ever seen have been meet and mm-hmm. ones that I couldn't figure out. Right, right. Where you have like a million options and everything is pinned, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, some you've also done some work um, in in your capacity as a very popular online commentator and streamer. Uh, you did some streaming with him during the Pro Chess League, right? Yeah, that's right. So that was uh, that was very cool. This happened um, last year, and Christopher has been uh, a valued member of the San Jose Hackers. Uh, he has won uh, a couple of important games and, and matches for us uh, in, in previous seasons. Um, and yeah, something that we were doing just like for the players that weren't participating that week is we would try to do a, a stream and, and do some commentary. And Christopher was actually interested in, in doing it. So I figured he was so young and interested. Uh, why not? Could be could be fun. And I'd already interacted with him. So I, I figured he would probably do a great job. And uh, yeah, he, he like truly excelled in, in commentary, I think. The, the interesting thing was, like, it wasn't so much his speed of analysis, which was, of course, very quick and, and impressive, but um, the way he talked about chess was extremely mature, and it made me feel like he, he was probably watching a lot of commentary at home, because he, he clearly knew, like, what to focus on in the game. Um, he was always bringing up, like, the clock and, you know, thinking about, like, the, the situation of, like, time pressure and, and how that affects the players. Um, which moves are easy to find, which moves are hard to find, which moves are more practical for a rapid game. So he already developed like a very intuitive understanding of all this stuff, which um, made his commentary, I think, really impressive to listen to, given that, of course, he is a kid and he would get like really excited about the games. And as the games went up in excitement, so it kind of like the volume of his voice, much like a, like a soccer commentator. So I think <laughs> that was also just very, very fun uh, to see. Uh, if people want to watch some of the commentary that he and I did, I, I believe I have some clips uh, on my YouTube channel of uh, from last year that, that they can go check out. And if they want to find that on YouTube, do they just search your name or is it Hello Kostya or something else? Uh, I believe it's it's under my name. And I think the URL is just youtube.com slash Kostya dash Kavutsky. Um, but yeah, it should be easily searchable. Um, now, how old were you when you reached the IM title? That was just a, a few years ago. I, that was right when I turned uh, 24. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, as, as we have this 12-year-old I am, what, what is the quality, what is the uh, special ability that is needed to jump from a master level to an I am level player? Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely uh, a tough question because I think it can really vary for for a lot of players. Um, I, I mean, I imagine a lot of it is just learning uh, a, a lot about different chess topics, but in, in a little bit of a, a deeper sense. Um, so one of the things that I was doing when I went from, from 22 to 2400, which, I mean, it was kind of a, a slow slow rise for me, but I, I was making uh, progress, um, was, was mainly you know being willing to like calculate deeper in certain positions um, being willing to play positions that maybe I didn't believe in at first, but upon further investigation, I realized, you know, if I want to improve my game, I have to be willing to play different positions. I have to be willing to uh, sacrifice material. I have to be willing to grab material if I feel like the sacrifice is not justified. Um, so being able to play some of those like difficult situations and then improving your skills um, alongside, I think, was, was kind of the, the key thing for me. Um, when it comes for, for young players, uh, I think for a lot of them, it's really just a matter of time before they reach the, the IM level, given that they, they've already spent their you know, thousands of hours uh, studying, uh, or I should say solving puzzles and just working on their calculation ability. And then from there, they have to learn you know, a little bit of like opening theory. 
And then they have to learn the, I think, the key concepts of, of strategic play, things like um, being able to put your pieces on good squares, to improve your pieces uh, when, when appropriate, to not create weaknesses in your position, to learn how to exploit weaknesses in, in the opponent's position. Uh, and then, of course, the end game is, uh, you know, completely different animal all on its own. Also very important to study and, and build up a certain... Um, certain like competent level of, of end game knowledge in terms of not just playing end games, but also theoretical end games and just knowing positions uh, very, very concretely. Um, so yeah, I found that when, when someone gets to 2200, they usually have something that they're like pretty good at and, and they usually have something that they're weaker at. Uh, I think Sam Shanklin might've written about this at some point, maybe gave a talk on this where he said that, um, you know, players are usually just either they're better at tactics or they're better at strategy. And the way they're going to make the most uh, progress is by working on the area that they're weaker on. So for me, I think the, my strategic sense was definitely developed quite well, but my sense of tactics and dynamic play, not so much. And by working on that, I think that's what gave me the, the most progress. And now that you say that you want to pursue the GM title, mm-hmm. what, what are the sp- things that you feel like you need to work on now or is it just more of the same um i would say now the thing that i would mainly need to work on uh is my technique uh, i found just from analyzing you know my games from the last uh, couple of years that i'm mainly giving up points uh in end games where either i'm pushing for the win and then i don't win or i have uh very very good drawing chances but but i don't hold uh so i found that uh, you know in terms of just looking at my tournaments and where I've kind of lost the most uh, uh, tournament points, uh, it's just always in those situations where I'm like missing little details, little technical details about the position. So I think that's kind of a mix of like end game knowledge, but also uh, concrete calculation because a lot of this stuff just depends on being able to to find resources for for you and your opponent. Um, but to me, that that's kind of the the main thing. I, I could of course improve my my opening knowledge as well. I think that's always. It's always something that can be worked on, and um, I think I think you see a direct correlation. Like if you're consistently getting good positions from the opening, your results are are, are generally going to be pretty good um, once you get to higher levels. <laughs> when you said technique, I smiled because it made me think about that the, the classic chess annotator trope about the rest is just technique. <laughs> right, right. Which which basically means either you're good enough to win this position or you're not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, you annotate a, a wonderful game between you and the Super Grandmaster. Uh, pr- help me with the pronunciation here. Is it Lee Quang Liam? Uh, Lee Quang Liam, that's right. And I-, I was wondering, you know, down in the class level, uh, us middle-aged guys, we-, we have this certain hesitancy about facing younger players uh, uh, that are, uh, you know, s- still in their teens or, or even younger because we have this feeling that, they're invariably underrated, and we're going to be in for a much tougher game than the rating may may imply. Mm-hmm. Do you think that do GMs and IMs have the same hesitancy when they sit across the board from a uh, Christopher Yu? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can I can tell you from personal experience. the The first time I played him in a tournament game um, was in, in Las Vegas a few years ago, and his USCF rating I think was uh, around twenty two thirty or forty or something. So he had he had already broken master. But his FIDE rating was like 1830 at the time. And so I just, I just felt it was like, it was so unfair. He was so underrated uh, in terms of his, his FIDE rating that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to beat a 2200 player every time, right? And that's going to be a lot of points lost. Uh, and so we ended up, we actually ended up drawing that game. In fact, I think I was kind of lucky to, to draw it because he, he definitely had the initiative out of the opening. Um, and yeah, I think in general, well, chess players, yeah, we don't like playing someone who's underrated because that's just kind of like like losing points in, in the long run. Um, uh, on the other hand, I, I've actually scored pretty well against kids uh, in my career, so I don't I don't mind uh, facing them them so much. The advice I would give is to just aim for either end games or or strategically closed positions where, where things are kind of blocked up. I think those tropes are are still kind of holding up uh, today. Um, it probably won't be the case for long. I mean, Christopher, you is like. You know, his, he's like composing endgame studies, so I'm sure his endgame play is, is not going to be uh, that bad anymore. Um, but but for everyone else, I think if you're going to catch them anywhere, it'll be it'll be in the endgame. And maybe directly to this point, 
the thing that really jumped out about me in your article is just how many coaches uh, have have had a hand in shaping Christopher in his uh, only five-year-long chess career so far. Um, I, in last month's pod with Grandmaster Joel Benjamin, I had him do kind of a rapid-fire impression of all his fellow competitors at the U.S. Senior. I made a list of all the coaches you mentioned in this article, uh, more or less chronologically. And why don't go through and just give me a quick impression of of, of these players and coaches, uh, in, uh, either as players or as coaches, mm-hmm. and it's possible you don't know all of them, and I, I and that's fine. Um, and also, because I have a bad history of mispronouncing names, if I mispronounce somebody's name, please feel free to correct me <laughs> sure, on that sure, one. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the first one is the late um, I am Emery Tate. Uh, sure, yeah. So Emery, I think, is very well known in the U.S. for his like uh, like fiery uh, attacking play. I've never actually had the, the pleasure of playing him, even though I, I had seen him in many tournaments in, in the Bay Area. Um, I don't believe he worked with Christopher for, for too long, um, but I have heard that he's just like a very animated coach. So already, like I imagine he, he might have just like been able to um, really affect Christopher at a really early age just with his like enthusiasm and, and appreciation uh, for chess. And I was thinking while I was writing the article, in fact, that, that maybe this was one of the uh, early sparks that really helped Christopher develop like his own love for the game. Next was uh, Wee Lu. Uh, yeah, so this coach, Wei Lu, um, I hadn't heard about uh, until um, Christopher's dad, uh, Young, you know, sent me uh, like a list of who he had worked with and, and so on. Um, uh, apparently, this is like a, a local coach um, who worked with Christopher on a lot of the uh, like the fundamentals as, as he was, uh, kind of getting through, through the, the classes, uh, of ratings. And, uh, yeah, I can't say I really know a whole lot about him, but it seems like he did a pretty good job with the, the fundamentals. Grandmaster Melik Kachian. Uh, yeah. So I, I know Melik, uh, pretty well from, from Southern California and, uh, he's, uh, been long regarded as, as an excellent coach. Uh, he's famously worked with, uh, Levon Aronian and he is kind of the, the first main coach that really developed uh, Levon's, uh, you know, huge talent. Uh, and Melik has also worked with a number of, of promising young players before Christopher, um, as well as like the the Olympiad team. And so basically, uh, you know, t- a very, very experienced coach. Um, I believe he was Christopher's main coach for, for a little bit of time. I think from when he was around 1800 to, I think, 22 or 2300. And, um, Melik is uh, is a big Grunfeld uh, player, and, and Christopher is still playing the Grunfeld to this day. So clearly, uh, he he must have taught him the Grunfeld, and and it's really it's it's stuck around for for quite some time. And I'll also add that Melik this year was uh, won the U.S. Chess Frank J. Marshall Award for uh, being coach or captain of U.S. women's teams in a number of Olympiads and world team competitions. Oh yeah, yeah, very. Next is uh, probably the most well known name on this list, Bruce Pandolfini. Um. Yeah, so I, okay, of course, his, his name, like, uh, speaks for itself, like, very, very famous coach. Um, I am not sure how much he, he worked with Christopher. I think this was kind of like uh, maybe a, a casual thing or like an, an on and off thing because this was, I believe this was during the time that, that Christopher was mainly working with, with Kachian. Um, but, but I imagine he had some like very, uh, very good chess wisdom and, and insight to, to offer Chris. Grandmaster Gregory Kaidanov. Uh, yeah, Kaidanov is also a well-known coach in, in the U.S. He's worked with a number of, uh, of a talented players, I believe. Um, I, I think he was also not, uh, let's say, not the official coach of Christopher, but I'm sure he had some, some help and some, some useful stuff to say. Grandmaster uh, Zvia Izoria. Uh, sure. Yeah, Zvia Dezoria. I, I believe this is um, more recent coach of, of Christopher. Um, basically, uh, I think over the last year or so, they, Christopher and his dad decided to kind of change up their their coaching, maybe a little bit um, before that. Um, and uh, now I believe they work with Zvia Dezoria on, uh, let's say, general uh, chess play, um, which to me probably means like strategic chess or maybe some end games. Um, this is definitely, I think, Ziad's uh, forte. Uh, Grandmaster Boris Avruk. Uh, sure. So Avruk is uh, well known for, uh, I think, a number of things. Probably most people know him from from his excellent uh, books from from Quality Chess, the the GM Repertoire series. Um, he has also worked, I, I believe, as a second for, for 
for Kramnik, and I'm sure I'm not a number of uh, super strong players. Uh, so Avrik has always been known as kind of like the openings guy, and I believe he, he currently works with Christopher uh, mainly on, on openings and, and their opening repertoire. Uh, Grandmaster Jacob Agard. Uh, yeah, another very well-known uh, author. Uh, I'm personally a huge fan of uh, Jacob Agard's books. Um, uh, I believe what, what uh, Christopher's dad told me is that they mainly work on, on calculation, which, um, yeah, reading a lot of Agard's work it kind of makes sense. That sort of seems to be like his specialty when it, when it comes to um, working with, with strong players, like really developing their, their calculation abilities. Uh, Grandmaster Alexander Chernin. Uh yeah, Chernin, I believe, um, is part of the uh, Kasparov Chess Foundation, of which uh, Christopher is, is one of the um, one of the recipients of, of yearly training. And uh, I believe the way the program works is, in addition to the sessions w- with Kasparov, they also get additional, maybe like quarterly sessions with uh, with Grandmaster Chernin, um, who uh, I don't want to name any names because I might get it wrong, but I, I believe he's worked with a number of uh, very very top talents that. Okay, I imagine the kids that, that have been in the Kasparov Foundation uh, previously. And, uh, I, and I think this may also be part of the KCF uh, Foundation, uh, Grandmaster Boris Gelfand. Uh, sure, yeah. So Gelfand, of course, is um, yeah, super well-known. I mean, one of, the, one of today's uh, top players. Um, I, I believe they started working with him thanks to Christopher uh, winning the uh, Samford Fellowship which provides uh, funds for, for talented players to then seek out like really high-level uh, professional coaching. And last is, is the organization that you've been a part of as well, Bay Area Chess. Yeah, I think maybe not, <laughs> maybe not the most uh, influential, but Christopher was um, attending uh, group classes at, uh, at Bay Area Chess for, for quite some time. Um, his main coach there was uh, Grandmaster Christian Carrilla, who was uh, leading the so-called elite team. So this was for for young players that were, I think, around um, eighteen hundred and up, and all the way up to twenty two, twenty three hundred, uh, and and now uh, Grandmaster Daniel Naroditsky is is coaching that group. Uh, I I believe Naroditsky probably subbed at, at some points and probably worked with Christopher uh, as well. Um, but yeah, I hope those those group classes were definitely useful for him. Well, thank you for going through that list. That that was fun for me. I hope it was fun for our listeners as as well. And so I'd like to uh, pivot to our uh, best question contest and let our, our listeners who have written in uh, participate. Uh, this is sponsored by U.S. Chess Sales, the official chess shop of the U.S. Chess Federation. U.S. Chess Sales is the largest chess retailer in the United States. From chess books, software to DVDs, from chess pieces to clocks to computers, U.S. Chess Sales is your complete one-stop chess shop. With over 5,000 items in stock, it offers same-day shipping and a low-price guarantee. Find it cheaper at any specialty chess retailer, and they will gladly match them. Shop today at www.uscfsales.com. Now, our first question actually comes from an ineligible contestant. It is John Hartman, our uh, digital editor uh, uh, at uschess.org and also the book review columnist for Chess Life. He's got a couple of interesting questions for you, uh, Kostya. Having written about Christopher and worked with some of America's other leading juniors in international coaching, what have you learned about chess improvement? Assuming you have drawn some conclusion, is it applicable to only to children, or can you generalize it? Uh, sure. Shout out to John, and, and thanks for the, the good question. Uh, I think one of the main things is something we, we just talked about earlier is um, that players who have developed uh, a real like curiosity for, for the game end up, um, I think, getting a lot better very quickly. Uh, I, I believe the reason for that might be just as simple as, you know, if you're interested in the game and in analyzing the game, then you're just going to spend more time let's say, analyzing with, with your own mind and not so much relying on the engine. Um, or if you are using the engine, then you're really just using it more of a, a tool rather than like a guide to telling you what's going on in the position, um, but rather using it uh, as kind of like um, a sparring partner where you try some ideas, the engine comes back at you with, let's say, the refutation, and then slowly but surely you kind of understand more and more about the position and, and what kind of ideas are, are working uh, and not. Um, so yeah, I feel like from, from what I've seen, uh, like working with, with young players is the ones that really have this, this genuine curiosity and, uh, they're not really, they're not really interested in any, you know, shortcuts. They don't want hints when you give them puzzles, for example. 
um, these are the ones that I think, you know, really develop their, their skills um, the most. Next comes from Dennis Boros from St. Louis. And if I'm not mistaken, Kostya, isn't he a grandmaster? That's right. Yeah. Shout out to Dennis. He's a friend of mine as well. Uh, originally from Hungary, if I'm not mistaken. Is that mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Good. Um, so he's got a couple of interesting questions here as well. Uh, what was When you started looking at Christopher's games, what was your first reaction to his chess as in terms of his strengths and weaknesses? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. I was actually thinking about this earlier today. Um, cause I, I thought this, this might be asked like what, like what is Christopher style or, or what player he, he reminds me of. And, um, thinking about it, I came up with, uh, Grischuk actually as a good comparison. Um, I, I believe, uh, Christopher style, uh, is, is very concrete. He, he's often, uh, calculating a lot and, uh, it's com- it's kind of universal, uh, from my point of view where he is just generally trying to find the the objectively best move um he doesn't really i mean he definitely likes to attack and he often goes for for dynamics but he's certainly willing to take a positional plus and try to tr- try to uh, grind out an end game um so i've always felt like he has kind of this like universal style uh and the, the second thing that really compares him to gristrick in my view is uh the uh the time trouble it's kind of one of his bigger issues as of late just getting into a lot of uh, time pressure Grishik is obviously uh, famous for that. Um, but I've also seen Christopher win a lot of games despite being in time trouble. So I, I have a feeling that his play doesn't uh, deteriorate that much. And uh, he can actually handle himself quite well in these uh, low time situations. And he asked a second question that that you may have hinted at with the time trouble uh, comment. He asks, will, will you style make a 180 degree turn similar to Jeffrey Zhang's chess? And I guess you should talk about how Zhang's just might have taken a 180. I, I guess I couldn't, I, I can't really expound on that myself. Um, yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure. I, I feel like a lot of players definitely do uh, change their style as they get from maybe 24 to 25, 2600, and so on. I, I can't really speak to Zhang uh, specifically, but um, I feel like uh, Sam Sevian who's a really strong grandmaster now. Uh, I think he's like 2650 or 60 at, at this point. Um, I mean, when he was younger, he was definitely like a furious uh, attacking player, very, very dynamic and tactical. And, and lately I, I feel like he's becoming uh, more and more technical, like um, where he's playing, you know, more end games and winning more of these like quiet positions. And uh, I think something that these players often do is they often change their uh, opening repertoires as well, just to get a, uh, bigger variety of, of positions that they're playing. And so a lot of these players that start off with just playing 1e4 and always going for the direct attack, they end up switching to d4 and playing things like the Catalan or Queen's Gambit, um, where they're forced to kind of just play in a more uh, strategic sense. Uh, as far as Christopher's style goes, I'm not really sure how it's going to uh, adjust in, in the future. Um, I, I hope that it gets sharper and, and more dynamic and that he just, he just starts playing for, for the attack because I feel like his calculation ability is, is quite strong and, and that would basically be, I think, just putting, um, putting, trying to put a strength uh, on the table, so to speak, by just going for these like sharp and extremely uh, dynamic positions. Uh, but at the same time, I would hope that he does uh, develop a sort of intuitive sense for the game so that he's able to make these moves but without without burning uh, all of his time on the clock. No, no, that's that's all really interesting. Thank you. Uh, our last question comes from a listener who just lists his name as Bill. With Christopher's skill and joyous personality, do you think that he could become an eventual crossover star for chess? And I guess what he means by that is someone who has mainstream appeal. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, well, I think Christopher has already kind of shown that, like when he was. Uh, doing his commentary for the Pro Chess League, um, from from what I saw, the <laughs> the reviews were, were overwhelmingly uh, positive. People were really into seeing this young kid with his like amazing enthusiasm and, and just genuine glee for for the game when things got uh, interesting and when when tactics were were happening uh, on the board. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's absolutely possible that he could turn into um, uh, someone who's just a real. Uh, just like great face for the game. I mean, he's already in the pro chess league, so he he could easily um, 
continuing more of like the esports direction and, and continue to, to play online. Uh, maybe we'll be seeing him in like chess.com's uh, speed chess championship or maybe the, the junior championship at, at some point. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't see why not. What team does he play for in the pro chess league? Uh, that's the, uh, the San Jose hackers. So those were our questions. Thank you for those you know, great answers. And I think that based on your answers to Dennis's questions, I'm going to award the best question contest winner to Dennis Boros. And so please see your email box, uh, Grandmaster Boros for the $50 gift certificate to us chess federation sales. Awesome. So, so as we close out uh, today. Let, let's talk a little bit about your career. Uh, you, you're steadily building up a very uh, extensive body of work as a streamer and as a print journalist. Um, uh, you, you've written one book to date. Uh, to, to, why, why don't you go ahead and plug your book? Oh, sure. I, I, I wrote an, an open Sicilian repertoire uh, for the white side uh, a few years ago uh, with uh, my co-author, uh, and friend, international master uh, Janibek Amanov, and uh, this is uh, this book is called "Modernized: The Open Sicilian," and it was basically trying to take a modern approach to uh, building an opening repertoire, uh, while while obviously providing a full repertoire uh, for white against basically every line in the Sicilian, um, mainly opting for the open Sicilian and and looking for some some sharp variations there. Uh, and our our idea for the book was to suggest lines that you know once you played through some of the thematic games and learned a lot of the key ideas that you know you wouldn't need to rely on your memory to play the line well that it would the understanding would just be ingrained and it would be a true repertoire and something you can actually play without having to study hours and hours of theory and having to memorize everything um, which is kind of the the drawback for white and playing the the open sicilian these days what year was that published that was uh published in 2015 and do you have any other books on the drawing table no not really i mean writing that one book was just such a a huge amount of work that i haven't really felt the need to to do another one um and yeah i also to be honest i not even sure um like I always get this feeling that chess books aren't going to be around for that long, given that now everyone is like switching to the the Kindle or Chessable and like these like uh, online platforms. So I I'm not too pessimistic. I feel like chess books are are gonna are definitely gonna exist for for the next next few years. But I always I always get this feeling that as soon as I start writing another one, they're just gonna completely. Uh, go off the market. Oh, I, I, I think we have time before that happens yet. So I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> and I think you have fans that are uh, would would love to see another another book by you. And in the meantime, people can certainly find um, uh, Kostya's uh, body of work on Chess Life Online by uh, searching for his name, and you'll see all of his uh, articles over the years there. And he's also written a number of articles for for Chess Life Magazine. Um, is, am I correct that streaming appears? to be really kind of the your dominant non-playing interest right now um i'm not sure so i i am doing a number of things i'm often like recording videos for for youtube uh, and i'm also um working on a, a patreon page where i'm posting a, a lot of articles and, and kind of like my own um my own ideas about chess improvement and uh, also just my own analysis of, of games and openings uh, and stuff um, and the streaming is definitely uh, a part of that, though I, I wouldn't say it's my main thing right now, mainly because I just don't get a chance to do it that often. But it is something that I'm I'm constantly uh, trying to incorporate more. I actually just had a, a stream last night for the first time in a little while because I, I was playing a, a GM Norm tournament uh, over the weekend and I was just going over some of the games. Actually, Christopher was um, was in the tournament. In fact, we, we played like three days ago, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, writing an article about him and then like <laughs> playing him in, in actually a, a serious game. Um, but yeah, streaming is, is something that I think is definitely, uh, it's not really the future of chess. I think it's kind of like, kind of like the present of chess and, and definitely uh, the future as well, as I think more and more people are just going to be tuning in to like Twitch and, and like YouTube streaming uh, to just catch um, the latest, uh, the latest chess action. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you you can't let that other comment go by without uh, giving us uh, an ending to the story. How, how did the game with Christopher end? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, it was uh, it was a draw. We we both had 
uh, chances at, at various points, but yeah, eventually we, we drew. Okay. So I'm, I'd like to close this interview with a question I've been asking all my guests this year, as this is the 80th anniversary year of U.S. Chess. And the question is, what has U.S. Chess meant to you personally? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, so I started playing chess um, in the U.S. I, I immigrated here when I was uh, very young. So I basically haven't known any other uh, chess scene other than than the U.S. chess scene. And um, I think one of the things that, that really helped me in the beginning uh, was like the community in Southern California. There was basically just a few organizers running uh, all of the tournaments. And um, if, it, if it wasn't for them, uh, like it, it would have been very, very hard to really pursue chess uh, further because a lot of the info about chess it was like it was hard to find uh, online, to be honest, and like uh, information about different tournaments and how to qualify for stuff and, and what it all means. Um, but I remember just learning about all this stuff from just like local players, local uh, tournament directors, organizers. And actually, that was one of the things that like convinced me that the chess community was actually one that was uh, a really, really good and interesting community and worth being a part of that people were generally willing to, to like help others and get others introduced into the game. And uh, we're all kind of on the same team. We're all like just trying to get better at chess, really. Well, that's a wonderful answer. So thank you so much for that. And it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you. And I I hope that the listeners uh, enjoy reading this article on Christopher Yu and the October Chess Life in the print edition or via our digital viewer as as much as I did. And I look forward to seeing more work from you, uh, Kostya. Thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you for listening to Cover Stories with Chess Life. Our podcast will return on the first Tuesday of next month when we will again be making a deeper dive into the pages of Chess Life. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose educational mission is to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. To become a member, go to uschess.org and click on the Join button where you can find a membership option that is right for you. As a member, you enjoy rated play, print and digital copies of Chess Life for Chess Life Kids, and you help U.S. Chess grow the game. If you are already a member, consider clicking on the donate button at uschess.org. Thank you and good chess.